truth. Very well, you shall have it. Jeffrey Hammond was my lover. Go on. He was my lover for years. We were constantly together until about a year ago and he began to change. And then I... I couldn't believe it. I, he was still everything in the world to me. God. He was my whole life until I heard about that Chinese woman. And then I couldn't believe that. I couldn't believe that he didn't still love me. So I sent for him. You had the letter. Well, finally he came. I told him that I knew about that Chinese woman. He denied it. I knew he was telling a lie. Finally, I made him admit that it was the truth. And then he said to me that if he had to choose between me and that Chinese woman, he'd choose her. Oh, God, I don't know what happened after that. I went absolutely mad. I seized that revolver and I fired at him and I fired and I fired and I fired until the gun was empty. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Karim Balak to discuss Gene Eagles' Oscar-nominated performance in the 1929 film The Letter. Karim, good to have you back on the show. Nice to be back, thank you. Yeah, uh, so tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie, what your uh, relationship with it is. So we were you sent me the list of what films are still, uh, still untalked about, and uh, while I was watching over the list, I saw the letter, and I did watch it by chance uh, on the Criterion channel last uh, last year because they had this um, Asians in Cinema um, series, and uh, the letter was one of the early examples where it's most of exoticism, and I was like, oh, that's uh, that's an Oscar nominee. I'm going to check it out. It's only an hour. And so I mentioned, oh, I've seen the letter, and we got to talk about, uh, about it, and figured that it would be a nice episode and it's also interesting because of the remake by William Wyler and uh, yeah so that's uh, when we we discussed and said like oh let's let's do that yeah yeah this is a this was my first time watching it uh, and my first time watching the William Wyler remake which uh weirdly this is the second movie this month yeah. that I've covered that had a remake by William Wyler that got more Oscar nominations and also retained a cast member from the original in a different role so Weird little uh, uh, coincidence there. How big is the chance for that? Very little. It's probably just these two. Uh, I would be surprised if there's a third, but you never know. Uh, but yeah, this this was an interesting... There's like a lot of moving parts to get at with this. Just the discussion of this movie, of Gene Eagles as a posthumous nominee, of this being the second Academy Awards, and like how yeah. this... Like, there's a lot of sort of asterisks with this year. This isn't technically a nomination, but like it's Indeed. it's considered a nomination by basically all sources, so it counts as a nominee here, even if you could put an asterisk by it. That not really, but for the sake of argument, for this, like it's a, a like this is considered an Oscar-nominated movie by the Academy, so like exactly, yeah. So I think the Academy should be some kind of authority on that. So yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that and the circumstances around that when we get to the Oscars. So we are talking about The Letter from 1929, directed by Jean de Lemour, uh, written by Garrett Fort, based on the play of the same name by W. Somerset Maugham. It stars Gene Eagles, Reginald Owen, Herbert Marshall, Irene Brown, O.P. Heggie, Lady Chen Mai Sen, I, I, uh, sorry if I'm mispronouncing, uh, and uh, Tamaki Yoshiwara. Uh, and it opened March 17th of 1929. Uh, yeah, so that is the movie we're talking about. 
And let's talk about our nominated performance here. Uh, Jane Eagles as Leslie Crosby, as as the, I was going to say the titular role, but she's not. It's The titular, <laughs> the titular role is, is a piece of paper that, that, that's nothing. Anyway, uh, uh, what are your like initial thoughts on this performance? Where, where do we want to start off here? Uh, by commending her for being the, the standout of the movie, because you have the, uh, the difficulties of this being an early talkie. Um, so you have a lot of static camera setups, um, a lot of moments where it feels more like a play. And um, especially after seeing a lot of 1929 films in preparation for this episode, I have to say that uh, Eagles is so alive in contrast to other performances of that time. And uh, that was really standing out to me on the second watch now, <clears throat> because the first time I was like, okay, yeah, she's she's good. She's, she's giving the life to the movie. And I mean, it's just like an hour long, so... Um, it's not uh, not a film that you uh, have to push through, um, but it's really worth it to watch for Eagles because you don't really think about a performance like hers when you think about a movie of 1929. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. There's like there's a very elegant mixture of uh, of early talking, uh, early talking, and silent acting because on the one hand she's very uh, very intense, like the the the, the facial expressions. Are, she's going wide-eyed and three ways. See, like, okay, I have to I have to emote without words. But she's also good with the dialogue, and I think it's a it's very well regulated between these two modes. Yeah, yeah, it, it's especially impressive considering that this was her first talkie. Uh, I, I think, like, she had been she had done theater for yeah. a long time. She was a Ziegfeld girl. Uh, she did. Uh, I think she she, if not originated this role on Broadway, she certainly played it uh, on the stage. She had like she did a lot of theater. She had made I think I wrote down like ten silent movies, and then yeah, this was her first sound film. Uh, and she only other she only made one other, which is Lost now. So this is really like the only example that we have of her as a as like a, a talking actress. Um, and it's really impressive considering that because like like you said there are a lot of performances from this time and i haven't seen as many movies from this era like but from what i've seen even just from clips like the transitional period from silent movies to talkies there's a lot of uh uh shaky acting we'll say there's, yeah. there's a lot of uh struggling to to match the the like the dynamics of a big theatrical uh, physical performance that goes sort of over the top and doesn't account for like vocal inflections and carrying yourself in the quieter moments where you need to be quiet. And I think she does a really good job here with that. With with she has like like the vocal control of some of the points where she is quieter, which like the bigger moments are are the louder moments in this performance. But the moments the the parts where she has to be more subdued. I think she does a really good job with that, with not making it seem like she's going too below the radar or too above the radar. She she has a good, uh, uh, like, just carrying the quality of this performance to those extremes without going too extreme. Uh, it's it's really impressive for this being her first foray into talkies. Yeah, and especially if you think like that, the crew also couldn't have a lot of experience. And uh, <clears throat> in, comparison to, in comparison to some other nominees, 
um, where it's really every syllable is very enunciated. And, and she doesn't do that. And like you said, the quieter moments are often hard in these early talkies because the microphones couldn't pick that up. So you have a lot of pictures where you have quiet moments where everyone is really intensely talking and it doesn't fit the mood because, I mean, if anyone saw Babylon uh, and remembers the Margot Robbie scene when they have the first sound picture, it really was like that. And yeah. uh, I, I was very impressed that, that she could modulate the way she could. Yeah, it's especially impressive uh, even within this own movie, like comparing her against some of her co-stars that are having a, a bit more of a struggle. Like it, every review that I've seen and, and some reviews that I, I read weren't as kind to her performance, but like even those ones are like, she's still the reason to see this movie. It, it, it's yeah. not a great movie. A so like her performance is the, the clear standout. And that sort of rings true when you compare her to some of the other actors in this movie who aren't necessarily bad, but are certainly not bringing the same heat that she is. And so even just by comparison within the movie she's in, it's a performance that really grabs you where, where everyone else is kind of just there for the most part. There are some good performances in here, but it, it's mostly a, a lot of like set dressing to to serve her performance at the center, yes. which it should be for, for this story. Like she is the one you want to come away from having like paid the most attention to. So it, it works in that regard, especially. Absolutely. And you see the difference in uh, in Wilder's remake where um, the the supporting cast is much more stronger and um, you also really feel the half hour more that Wilder has to flesh out the material, uh, the characters, and um, which makes that um, as a whole, it's a way better picture. But um, it's still fascinating to see how is how Hagen really, uh, how Eagles, um, does does command the picture yeah. and it's the the i think she's in almost every scene almost yeah there's like almost. i think there's like one or two small there's... like two minute scenes where like the lawyer with his with his aide yeah um when they talk about the letter but otherwise it's really focusing on her and uh yeah they, they knew what they had in her yeah and yeah they especially when she's like very fraught and uh, on the brink of breaking down. Uh, I, I mean, it's a bit hard to uh, like reading up on her a bit and her drug habits. It's really hard to figure like maybe she was you not using it to, to, to put out that performance. Yeah. Uh, but I was really impressed because it, in moments it's like so modern. her performance. It's, it's really, you could pluck her out and, and put her in a, in a, in a film of today and she wouldn't stand out that badly. I mean, there's of course there are moments where it's really like when she shoots the the uh, her her lover. I mean, I love how how spiteful she looks <laughs> and she's really like throwing the gun throwing almost her, as she's shooting, throwing her whole body into those wrist yeah. movements, it's just every shaking back like... and forth. It's so good. That's yeah. one of the more theatrical moments, but it works yeah. because like it it kind of feels unfair to compare her performance to Betty Davis's performance because they're like fundamentally presenting different versions of this character where Eagles version of Leslie Crosby is kind of manic from the beginning and she is frazzled and you feel more of the like 
almost like the cabin fever of being this woman who feels she's like being holed up in Singapore, this country that she as a white English colonist is like completely disgusted by and she feels very trapped. And so that's already baked into this character before she, before she does anything else. Yeah. Like you feel that and you feel that level of like mania seeping into this character that carries with her throughout. Whereas Betty Davis's version is more subdued. She's more of like a calm, calculating murderess. Uh, if I mean, you will call her that because that's what she is. She murders this guy. That's like the inciting incident of the story. But Davis portrays her as someone that like this is maybe much more premeditated. You get the idea that maybe she wrote that letter with the intention of killing him all along. Whereas in this version, like her killing him is spur of the moment because she feels slighted. And it's like the last straw that breaks this woman that is on the fringes of breaking. And so, so like to compare the performances feels a bit like yes, they're they're in the same story, but they're playing wildly different versions of this character. And I really like what Eagles brings to that manic side, especially later on, like when she's in jail and she's talking to people that know more than she thinks they do. Like when she's talking to her husband who has seen the letter, but she doesn't yeah. know he's seen the letter, and she's like still putting on a face for him and has to has to over the course of a scene come to realize what's going on and has to sort of break in that way. I think it's a really interesting version of this story where she is at, she's obviously at fault and, and her circumstances just keep pushing her to thinking that she's made it, thinking that she's made it out to the other end and then having to be faced with the fact that no, she hasn't. And it's, it's a really fascinating look because like, this is a, a the second Oscars, and we're seeing a performance of a like like a just like a, a bad person in Best Actress, yeah. which nowadays they're still hesitant to do. Like audiences now are still kind of wary of movies where women get to be bad, and to see that in I, it, it was a pre-code movie, so like yeah. and you feel that you, you really have that, that yes, but like it, it is kind of shocking to see this level like you don't expect uh, this portrayal of this character from a movie from 1929 it it really oh. does sort of hit you while you're watching it that oh this is more forward thinking of a portrayal than kind of even the betty davis version is and she she doesn't even feel condemned by the film because if you walk walk down a few years a few years after that, I think the Academy mostly liked to nominate like fallen women, you know, like someone who has fallen from grace and uh, has to atone for her sins. But I think the because the, the ending is so interesting when she when her husband confronts her about the letter and that he knows about it, that she, like you said, like she puts up the facade in, in the beginning, but once she realizes she doesn't have to, there's all this this hatred coming out almost to her husband about what she has about what he has done to her by putting her in that place on this plantation uh, where there's nothing to do but sit around and wait for him to finish work and and to end on that it's not like she's she's getting a big punishment i mean she she goes home free and the film doesn't 
do anything to to make you think oh no but now she she has a horrible life ahead of her but no she's she's i mean her life well, isn't better than before because she but, feels she is 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 the thing about yeah. it, that like she's just confessed to him that like i hate living here i hate living with you that's like i was driven to the arms of this other man by your uh like lack of affection for me and i i hated it so much that it made me crazy essentially and his punishment for her look what, is look what you made me do yeah and his punishment for her is well you have to keep on living that life and yeah. it which is kind of like also like like that's an interesting ending to this story i feel like i i don't know where do you come down on the the ending change because i know that the ending in this is closer to the play and and the the original short story that the play is derived from uh where do you come down on the the endings difference between the two movies um, i think i think they both work well in their context because you also have like the difference between the pre-code and the code era because the the wilder version can't have her just like be this unpunished to say i mean she gets yeah. off there too but uh, I, I didn't get to the ending uh, when I when I tried to rewatch it because of time. But I think it's implied in the remake that she might might kill herself. Is that, uh, is that uh, right? No, the um the Gail Sondergaard. I remember her standing. Uh, she's standing on the uh, in front of the of the moonshine. But yeah, she I, walks I'm, out. I, she yeah. walks out of the house, and then Gail Sondergaard, the the wife, uh, Gail Sondergaard in yellow face again. Um, the uh, her lover's wife and her bodyguard like sort of uh, a, like accost her and it's it's not shown but she gets like stabbed and killed. Ah, and then, okay, so that's uh, so, so she gets her come up and by getting yeah like a, a, and they, they a, a can see the real yeah yeah and it's a real difference between like a, a code film where a mur- she she might go free in front of the law but she has to be punished. And uh, like the ending of this version of the 29 version would be impossible in the 40s. Yeah. Um, but in a way, it's almost uh, like you implied, it's almost even worse, the, the fate that Eagles has to endure because she doesn't get like the sweet release of death. She's, she has to live there. She has to, to live with her husband, live on a plantation. And because they had to use the savings, there's no... No way she can't to, leave. Like, escape this. Yeah. yeah. There's she has to endure even more. Yeah. So I thought that was a really good like confluence co- coming together of those plot elements of her like begging to be like, oh, well, you know I killed him and you know I still love him. So why won't you just send me away and make life better for you? And he's like, Well, we used all that money to buy your innocence. So have fun living with the consequences of that. Uh, which is it's a it's a really good twist of the knife, uh, yeah. better than the actual twist of the knife in the William Wyler version, uh, yeah. uh, in a more literal sense. Um, this isn't necessarily to do with the actual performance that Eagles is giving, but I do uh, uh, want to bring this up just because I feel like it it translates to what I like about the performance is the poster for this movie, uh, or at least the poster that's on Letterboxd. I don't know if, like... I, I imagine that's from the time, and I imagine that is an accurate, oh, yeah. like, that was some portrait taken of her or whatever, some painting. But, like, the anguish in her face on that poster really translates well. Like, like that that is a, a very just, like, pure emotion 
in that face uh, as she's sort of like throwing her head back. And th- there was, I just wanted to bring it up because I saw some review on Letterboxd of someone saying like, I hadn't seen this movie for years, but it always intrigued me because I wanted to know what made this woman look so anguished as she does on the poster. And like, she carries that that level of physicality throughout the movie that like what her her just like distraughtness distraught nature at at everything going on and her just con- her downfall essentially she does a really good job of carrying that in her whole body in her physicality it's it's it's, it's it, you can tell this is someone who has a theatrical training more so yeah. than later decades of of actors who are more you know with the method and all that that sentence more naturalistic got away from yes more naturalistic <laughs> this is not a naturalistic performance but it works because this is like a as clear of a melodrama as you can get uh yeah, and if it's the tone it absolutely fits the tone yeah again with the the way she throws herself into the shooting with the way her face changes when she sees her husband holding the letter and just like her expression drops and the, again like like you said the wide-eyed parts where she's like in jail talking to her lawyer and she has this just frazzled look they have her hair all like up and and messy and crazy and she just has this this you you really feel it you really feel the physicality of this performance uh, but it's not to a way where it feels overperformed. It doesn't feel like, oh, she's she's just copying the theatrical performance and playing this way over the top. It, it feels confined while still being allowed to explore those sort of outer reaches of the the her just her presence. If that makes any sense at all. No, no, it makes sense, and and she she gets to play such range because you have like the, the, the anger, the hurt, like when she, when she realizes that her, her lover doesn't love her anymore, um, you get the hatred against her husband. You get the, the sweet, innocent wife in front of the court where you really, like, if, if you hadn't seen her shoot the guy, you would be like, oh, no, no way that poor, poor woman would shoot anybody. Yeah. No, 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 no. This was, of course she was attacked. And, it's really fast because I mean I saw her like ten minutes earlier shooting not even ten minutes I think it's between the the courts oh, yeah. and you're like oh yeah she's the perfectly innocent housewife of course of course and then later when you have her with the lawyer when he's confronting her about the letter and like you said when she's like oh no no oh that's such an innocent oh I wrote maybe a few months ago inviting him and that's like no it isn't and you can see her thinking like how do I get out of this how can I convince him to and then at some point she realizes she has to co- convince him to buy the letter and then she tries to be sw- persuasive. Then she has to scene with the, I think her name is Lee T, the, the wife of the, the of her life, I think right? she's a mistress in this. Mistr- I, I, this one is the mistress and the lady yes. one is the wife. Right? Because yeah. in 1940, he has to be married. He, he can't have yeah. been sleeping yeah. around with two women. He's not married. And to. especially uh, not white women. Yes. Be, uh, oh yeah. That's horrible. very instrumental to this, this story working in the way that it does. And and I think that's that's interesting because the movie, because like you, like I do, kind of expect older movies to be a bit more racist, 
And uh, this could have been one where it's like, oh, look at how hurt this woman is because her lover is is dating a foreigner, a Chinese woman. Oh my God, the embarrassment. But then I don't think the movie does that. Yeah. I think it's really great because like, the the film shows in the in her confrontation with Lee T, she's like so humiliated to have to be there in this rather kind of so, some I sort mean, of yeah that place feels pretty racist in its depiction <laughs> so yeah the, like the, the music Chinese plays slave and... girls I'm doing air quotes here um, some in a cage but they're all like ah, like it's super funny and uh, like it's a uh, it's an opium den and I I didn't get what this place was supposed to be but that was the most like uh, Chinese people bad moments. Uh, like not even Chinese actually. It's like sing- sing- Singaporeans. I don't know how to say it. Um, and uh, yeah, but the, the movie is is condemning her, but also understanding where she comes from. Like this, the, like this cabin fever you said, and and this all rests on her shoulders because she could play it like the victim, but she, and and she feels like a victim of circumstance, but. She's also really self-centered. Yeah. She does a really good job of playing her as a character that feels like she herself is the victim, but the movie definitely presents her as not the victim. But you can see in her performance, her just like at every corner, at every turn, victimizing herself and and like shuffling off the blame on everything and the way she so quickly comes up with these lies on the witness stand and when she's covering for the letter and all that like there is a calculated nature to this performance but it's not nearly as efficient as betty davis weaving these lies this is definitely a woman who is having to come up with things on the fly that don't hold any water and don't hold any water to the people around her but she's so far gone that she thinks she's coming up with these these excuses and alibis that are covering for her when they're not and yeah that scene that she has with the mistress where she has to like grovel for for the letter itself this time the titular letter okay redeemed myself um (laughs) uh uh, when she has to debase herself to be like yes can you please give me this letter and just the humiliation there could again have been presented as like a a movie of this era like you said could have come across as so much more like panicky and racist of like oh look at this horrible you know ethnic woman that is making this poor white lady you know debase herself and grovel and and all this but the movie doesn't present it in that way the movie seems to always be taking the side of this uh, what did he say the character's name was? Uh, um, yes, yeah. The the movie is much more on her side in a way that the William Wyler version also kind of isn't, where she is presented as this more like almost mystical, silent, just like figure more so than yeah. a person. She doesn't have any lines, or if she does, they're all in because like the, the way they present it is like, oh, she doesn't speak any English, so she's yeah. just this like you know, figure, shadowy figure that you see like sort of like, what I don't know, like drift into a scene and then drift out of it. And she's menacing and she's, but she's not a person in the way that in this version, that character is. 
it's more exoticized. Yes. Uh, where you get to feel like, oh, this this strange Asian woman. Um, I think, and I think that's the weakest part of Wider's version. Um, yeah. And I hate to criticize it because I think he's one of the best uh, that ever was. But yeah, that that part doesn't work that well. And <clears throat> I was really uh, surprised at how how not racist <laughs> the twenty nine version is. I mean, let, let's comparatively, that, yeah, comparatively, yes, of course. But I mean, there's actually Asian or Asian uh, um, people of Asian heritage uh, in the Asian roles, which yeah. is not uh, not that uh, normal for that time. Again, pre-code, before there were yeah. uh, uh, rules against miscegenation in film. Yeah, which is As why that Gail thing wasn't part. that good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what else about Eagles' performance? I do really like this, the final scene where everything is sort of falling apart for her and she's confronted by her husband who knows basically everything at this point. He has the letter and he's read it. And they have these other guests over to celebrate the not guilty verdict. Yeah. And she sees the letter in his hands. And then when the guests are like, oh, we'll leave you two lovebirds alone. She's like, no, why yeah. don't you stay a little bit longer? And she's like... <laughs> desperate to push this off as as if she's like well if i keep them here long enough maybe he just won't confront me about it again sort of playing into the delusions of this character and then yeah. once they leave and he confronts her she keeps putting up the lie for as long as she can until eventually she does a complete 180 and is like oh well it's because i loved him and you pushed me away and this like mounting like mounting to an explosion in in yeah. that scene where she's like oh all you care about is rubber 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 and this goddamn rubber plantation and you never cared about me and i was i felt trapped here and this man came along who talked to me about talked to me about music and culture and of course i fell into his arms and all this stuff and the the it's just a building scene and then it, it concludes with the with all my heart and soul i still love the man i killed which is a, a good ending and it's a good capper to this performance where where which is about a woman who tries to justify what she did for love and it's a deeply ironic ending because you know this man as we see very clearly did not love her not because of the person she is and she still is holding on to that and idealizing that and it's a it's a really fascinating ending to this performance that really really caps off the um the delusion of this of this woman i feel like yeah absolutely everything you said and that would be so much her oscar clip if they had yeah. them back then yeah uh oh i guess at this point we can talk about um i i did mention it up top. this was a posthumous nomination uh yeah. she she died six months after the movie released i think somewhere around there um so, yeah. of a drug overdose she had struggled with alcoholism and uh, i i read differing uh, uh reports on it some said heroin some said it was like a, a sleeping medication that she was either yeah. abusing or accidentally took too much of or maybe it was suicide obviously it's you know she was a movie star in 1929 that had a a death that you can imagine the studios maybe covered up some of the details about for one reason or another uh but still worth noting and worth talking about uh just it, it's a shame because like even with just this one performance 
there was real talent there and it would have been fascinating to see what her career could have been. Absolutely. And I think she's one where you can see, because a lot of people didn't survive the, the transition to the talking pictures. And she feels more like someone who could have exploded really to, yeah. uh, to, to fame and uh, have gotten, like she could have been on a, on a Betty Davis route like on the characters she played because if you yes. think about like the the well, bad women but the kind of women betty davis played when she was younger that genius could play uh, yeah and i think and, uh, even um the other sound movie that she made that's now lost uh let me find the title of that one uh it's called jealousy which was also directed by uh jean de limore um and i think that was also remade starring betty davis i could be I, I i feel like i read somewhere that some other movie that she made or role that she played on the stage or something like that like she played multiple roles this one and whatever that other one was that betty davis later took on uh in another film i don't remember where i read that so i can't access that right uh immediately right now but like yeah that, that that's an apt comparison beyond just the immediate literal fact that they both played this character like this is she she fits an archetype of a th this type of role that it would have been very interesting to see what she would have done going forward from this uh yeah, yeah. and it's a real loss yeah it really is um also worth noting she's the only actress that has ever been nominated posthumously uh and i wrote down the other posthumous acting nominations um it, Wait, there's like it's, a uh, it's uh peter finch from uh from network yeah. james dean for i think it was east of eden and giant or... he got both and giant both okay both were posthumous and i don't remember ledger was he already dead when he yeah. was nominated yeah okay. yes so ledger. and i think that's them or is there another there's one? there's four more actually four more oh my god yeah uh do you want to try and guess, or do you want me to just read them off? Uh, let, me, let me take a second, but... No, uh, read them off. I don't think... Uh, Spencer Tracy for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, uh, who had died, like, yeah. two days after filming yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, they, they uh, shot his last season a few days later. Yeah, uh, Ralph Richardson for Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, or whatever okay, that full sure. title is, which is a is a weird title. Uh, Massimo, yeah, Massimo Troisi for The Postman. El Postino. Uh, right, yeah. And then uh, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Ah, oh, oh, Ma. Yeah. Yeah. I've not bad, seen man. all of those, but the one, like, it's a, it, obviously it's a sad sort of <laughs> list of performances to, to group together, but they're all very good performances of the ones I've seen. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, just wor worth noting that, the, that that's the the group that there is i don't know i didn't have anything else beyond that i wrote yeah, down those names but it's but it's fascinating that there's only one woman in there yes like i i hope like maybe this is more a result of more uh men exhibiting the, the behavior that leads to earlier death i mean okay like troisi and um and uh, richardson and tracy were old i mean tracy was a hardcore alcoholic but still he got pretty old um so maybe that's uh, that's that that men are more poised to poison themselves in yeah. some of those cases, please. And also, it, it 
just like I don't know. There, there's probably a thesis you can mount around that, just like the societal reasons of of like lionizing dead men. Yeah. Uh, sure. But also, I just I can't even think of as many opportunities. Well, I guess Marilyn Monroe in the Misfits, I think, would have been. Po- I, I don't remember how much longer she. No, I'm thinking Clark Gable died before the movie yeah. came out but she died that was Might her last been. movie but i don't think she died until after it released um i'm sure there are other cases but, but i can't the, think of any off the top of my head yeah but the um but the thing is that you like when you see like richardson and tracy and tracy uh which were very old and you don't have a lot of roles for women in that age that's so, also like, a very good point there's yeah. one reason that you don't get that like okay Catherine Hepburn, but she's stopped acting a while before she uh, she died, and uh, Ingrid Bergman was also very act- long active. But yeah, I mean, Meryl Streep would be like the most logical candidate to do this in our lifetime, probably. Yeah, but also let's let's not dwell too much on. Let's not hope. Yeah. let's not hope. Uh, oh, uh, uh, a recent case that could have happened to some degree: uh, uh, Charles B. Dean for Triangle of Sadness last year oh. could ha- like there could have yeah. been any sort of like like I, I didn't even see that get talked about uh no. which is a shame because that's like a one of the better performances in that movie i felt for a movie i didn't love but i, th- I thought she was very good in it yeah, um yeah, yeah uh we don't have to dwell too much on this if we're getting a bit too <laughs> morbid uh but is there anything else we want to say about gene eagles's performance before we talk about the rest of the movie in as much as there is other stuff to talk about <laughs> Uh, I don't think so, because as I said, it's a very short film, so you don't have that much, but it's a very effective film in that. Yeah, yeah, and it's available on YouTube uh, to check out. It's like an hour... It's quality. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, I was surprised how good the quality was on YouTube. Yeah, it's it's a good print for... I think this movie was lost for so long. Or something like that. Yeah, it was rediscovered some time. In like the 80s, I think they found this which I think that it said was a work print, which wasn't like intended to be screened for audiences. The version we have now is a work print more than it is an actual theatrical release. So maybe that explains some of the, uh, uh, not shoddiness, but like some of the stiffness of it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm... Who knows? Uh, let's move on and talk about some of the rest of the movie. It has been brought to my attention, sir that there is a letter in existence from Mrs. Crosby to Mr. Hammond. Well, dozens of them, probably. Hammond had been a friend of theirs for years. But this letter, sir, was written the night of Mr. Hammond's death. It is quite unusual in tone. Where is this letter? Which I don't have a a ton of notes written down (laughs) about it. And one of them is... five. (laughs) Yeah, one of the ones I have written down is... That it was a work print that was found in the 80s. So that's that one I can mark off. Um, but, but to be fair, if, if that's a work print, it still is more accomplished than a lot of other films of that time. So yeah. like I was really surprised at the at the push-in in the beginning. Yeah. Because the there's... film is relatively static in most of the scenes. Like maybe there's a small pan or something. But like in the beginning, it really pushes through the leaves and into the house. Uh, I was really like, "Oh, wow, that's that's more than I remembered about about that." Yeah, there was I think one. At least the, oh. 
Yeah. yeah, but the I think the the framing is at least interesting. It's not this this feeling of the the room as a stage and then they move around. It's you really feel like that uh, the Lemieux was uh, was looking at how to stage for the uh, like to make it visually interesting and not just like okay we have a a microphone in the middle of the room so everyone has to stand there. Yeah, yeah, there are. Obviously, there are a lot of wide shots in this, but yeah. there are just as many close-ups and medium shots, and like the just the difference in the types of shots that you have in this movie does feel more forward-thinking for 1929 than maybe some of the other. Put a camera in a room, and that's where it is because we have this, yeah. which is also uh, worth noting because this was the first sound film shot at this studio shot at, at, at this yeah. studio lot where it was filmed according to the wikipedia page for this movie um but yeah it's it's more formally competent than maybe i was expecting uh yeah. because really it just gets talked about for the one central performance but there are there was one and i didn't take note of what it was a shot of so I'm just going to be describing a general camera movement. But there's a point where like the camera is focused on uh, Jean Eagles, and then she looks down at something, and the camera moves down to it and then moves back up to her. And it was is a simple camera movement, which you see in movies all the time. But, you know, for 1929, I thought that it worked very well, and, and there were a few moments like that where you can see uh, the... You can see more of a, again, forward-thinking approach to the filmmaking than some of the contemporary uh, uh, films of of the time. But I don't remember what it was a shot of, so I can't speak more to that about how it works. But, um, uh, what else? Uh, one of these notes is just, "Hey, it's the letter from the letter," uh, tying it all back to titular. <laughs> uh, I was surprised by how quickly it moved although it is only an hour so that makes sense but like yeah, but i mean yeah but but runtime isn't pacing you know so yeah uh, you can have one hour movie that feels like three hours and you have three hour movies that feel like they breeze past by you so yeah i, I also think the editing is, is is pretty pretty good and the storytelling is good um uh, one note i found is like i wish i knew if the if the asian language that's spoken which is never really clarified um if that's genuine yeah because I could imagine someone just like, yeah, do something like that, but uh, that there are Asian actors and actors in this makes me at least hopeful that, uh, yeah, it's not just like some gibberish, but uh, someone yeah. else would have to be an authority on that. Yeah, uh, and speaking of those Asian actors, I thought they were, uh, or at least the two that like get highlighted roles, uh, Lady Senmai and Tamaki Yoshiwara. We're pretty good. I uh, out of the supporting cast, yeah. I thought they were more standouts, mostly just because everyone else is a clean-cut white man in a suit that I can't tell apart. Uh, yeah, but they, I thought they were, they did a, a good job with the material, uh, even if they're relatively minor roles. Because everyone's in this, other than Gene Eagles, yeah. it's kind of a relatively minor, minor role. But uh, I, th I thought they did a good job. Um, I don't just have much that... else to say about the rest of the cast in general. No, it's just funny, like you mentioned in the beginning, that the uh, the shot lover is the husband in the remake. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's funny. It is, yeah, and and he's good in both versions. Uh, but 
not someone that I uh, that I'm necessarily going to come away like, oh man, you got to see this wish, performance. Yeah, I wish they had the supporting actor already because he would have been as uh, no, no. It's just like yeah, okay. Yeah, the the rest is there, but she is there. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I did uh, plug in the the ten thousand dollars that they're that uh, mm. the mistress is asking for for the letter uh, in nowadays money is one hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars, which that's, a, that's yeah. an expensive letter. It is, and that is also like uh, justifiably a life savings that you now have nothing to to work with after having to pay that out. Um, I think it's it's a pretty good script. Top to bottom, generally, yeah. I, I think it's a good adaptation in that the, the dialogue I think works and doesn't feel too pat. Doesn't feel like it's uh, falling into like I've, it, it helps that this is early enough in film history that that there isn't a ton to rip off from, so it it's yeah. not going to feel like it's it's too cliched in telling this story, but. I think it works uh, for what it is. I think it's a compelling story, and the yeah the the screenplay, it's it's not poorly written. It's not again what I'm going to come away from this movie the most enthused about, but it's well written enough. I guess is is where I'm yeah. coming down on that. Yeah. Uh, and that's all my notes. I just have like uh, like if you if people want to check it out and you are sensitive to animal violence, there's a fight between a snake and a possum. I think I don't know what the, what like the rodent was. So and I I guess that was that would there were two real animals. So if you are sensitive to that, maybe uh, when the scene comes, you will notice and you can close your eyes. Which is like so wild that something like that would be happening today. Yeah, uh, and it's like, yeah, sure. Let's just toss two animals together and let them fight. Which was like, eh, didn't need that. And that's a part of the the exoticism that this film does deal in. It's like this, oh, this dangerous Asian side yeah. of the world where she doesn't normally walk. That wasn't that necessary. I mean, I know why it's in there, but it doesn't need to be in there. Yeah. Um. I'm honestly even just scrolling through the the IMDb <laughs> trivia to see if there's yeah, anything. Yeah, that... I think there's a lot about Gene Eagles dying. Yes. Sadly, so. Yeah. I uh, mean, it's it's a film from 1929 that's one hour long. There's a limit to what you can discuss about that. Yeah. Um. Apparently, uh, Herbert Marshall, who played the the lover in this and the husband in the remake, also played uh, W. Somerset Mom in. The Razor's Edge, which hmm. I can't remember if I've seen or not. I haven't seen it, but it's uh, awaiting because it's a Best Picture nominee, so I will yeah. get to it someday. I don't think I have. I I think I'm maybe just wait. Have I? No. Yes, I have. I... <laughs> it yeah. It, it did leave a lasting impress impression. Yes. No. I I would have watched <laughs> it when I did. Maybe Saratoga Trunk or something. Because Anne Baxter won supporting actress. Fit around the time, yeah. I don't remember if that was that year or not, but I, I, I did watch it, and I didn't remember much of anything of it. Um, oh. But that's that's maybe I just wasn't paying that much attention either. I mean, you wasn't you weren't watching it one. for for that trivia, so yes, that also as well. Um, 
yeah, I have uh, nothing else written about the actual movie. Uh, nope, I'm blank too there. Yeah, okay, so uh, with that, let's move on and talk about these, the uh, the second Academy Awards. Um, yes. So I'm not going to have a transition here where I have the, the reading of the nominees, because no? that, that don't exist. No. Uh, uh, worth noting, I, I mentioned it up top, these aren't, this isn't technically a nomination because the way that this went down this year uh was that there was a board of judges i think there were like five judges or or something like like that that, uh that uh decided the winners uh and and there was a list that was discovered years later and sort of canonized as the nominees for this year of uh other movies and performances for each category that were in consideration by this board of judges yes. and uh gene eagles was one of the actresses in consideration for best actress uh so that's where this quote-unquote nomination comes from um there were only seven categories this year yes. so i feel like we could even just go category by category <laughs> uh because uh, i haven't seen well yeah i haven't seen maybe any of these other movies from this year i i will say uh but just to to talk about whether we would consider the movie in those categories but before that i i uh i know you watched some of the best actress nominees yes um, uh do you want to speak on any of them to any degree yeah sure um so i started off with the winner uh mary pickford for coquette uh, which is also on YouTube, if anyone wants to find out. It's a terrible copy. I had a lot of uh, difficulties making out the dialogue in many scenes. Um, but, wow, <laughs> um, that's bad. <laughs> I mean, really, it's even if the sound problems weren't there, that's a really bad performance. Uh, and not even performance, a movie. I think it's the worst of the bunch I saw, and there's a, the others aren't good either, but this one really uh, took the cake. It's, it, it, this is it, really... Yeah, it, sorry. Uh, it, it lives down to its reputation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's other films in that uh, Oscar lineup that do that as well. But um, this one, I mean, it's really, it has all, like the stuff we said about, okay, there's some stuff that's typical for an early talkie in the letter that's there, but cranked up to 11. You know, it's like static camera, wide shot, wide shot, wide shot. You have very exaggerated um, speech patterns. You have uh, big gestures where you really feel like Pickford and the rest of the cast are still in silent movie mode. And uh, I get from reading up that this was a a change for her because she apparently before that was playing like uh, nice, good girls. And here she's like, I'm honest, it was like a week ago and I have a trouble remembering the plot. It was just some like, oh, she wants to marry this guy who's below her and uh, the father doesn't agree. And uh, wow, it was really, it left me so cold. It's really, <laughs> yeah. can't even, it's really like, it's bad melodrama because melodrama is a genre that people say like, oh, it's melodrama. It's like, no, melodrama, like, have you watched Dr. Cirque? Like, uh, All That Heaven Allows? That melodrama can be fucking good. But yeah. This one is, oh, wow, it was really tough watch. And the, um, the funny thing is that um, this is always cited as the first case of real uh, Oscar campaigning because Pickford was a founding member of the Academy and she apparently really wanted that Oscar. 
And if you uh, like, I don't, I don't think they had the term Oscar bait, but that performance is Oscar bait. Uh, and she invited the committee members to her house for dinners and everything. So even back then, people were like, that doesn't seem that great. Yeah. <laughs> no yeah. There's a, there's a big uh, old asterisk next to this win. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't like, I mean, of course, you can always debate if the wins are based on merit. But uh, in this case, it's really, really feels more like, oh, hey, Mary. I mean, like even uh, Irving Thalberg, I think, was her husband and was also one of the committee members. So, yeah, there might be a conflict of interest there. I don't know. Um, yeah, but she really, um, it's really not a good performance. I was only the last two scenes where there are quieter moments and she has to come to terms with what, what happened, um, where I was like, okay, I'm finally seeing something worth watching, but otherwise this was really a chore to get through. And uh, I would be happy to hear what you have to say about it when you get to it, <laughs> because yeah. this is also an acting nominee. Let me uh, double check to uh, see if this is still the case. Um, I think so. No, but uh, uh, okay, it is no longer. Uh, but on the the list that I have on Letterboxd of all of the lone acting nominees, for the longest yeah. time, it was the lowest rated uh, okay. out of ah, okay. 260, which is now Blonde. <laughs> ah, okay. Yeah. Blonde has, I guess, undertaken it as the lowest rated uh, movie on this list. And uh, a bit of a, a teaser, one of those other lowest rated is one that i will be doing in the very near future so hmm, interesting throwing out a bit of a hint for uh, <laughs> uh, anyone that cares uh yeah no, i'm not looking forward to doing that yeah. one but it's gonna happen someday and uh just gonna have to bite the bullet and do it but yeah very least it, not... it might be an interesting discussion yeah i mean you you, you get something to talk about sure yeah that's true yeah but yeah uh, that's uh that's what I got on uh, on Coquette. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't rec- like if you're an Oscar completist and say like, oh, I want to see every nominee or every, at least every winner, go for it. But um, otherwise, don't don't go for Coquette. Yeah, doesn't seem like anyone's cup of tea, even at the time. Yeah. Uh, so then it's the there's the Divine Lady, which is like from the I saw four of the six nominees because. Uh, but the Barker is only available at UCLA and maybe also Madam X. Um, I, yeah, it, it's it's somewhere hidden away, something yeah, like that. So I, I don't know if it is still. It's one of there. those where you cannot just go on YouTube or stream it anywhere. So um, yeah, those two. I didn't see the Divine Lady is the is another good one actually. Um, because let's check her name because I didn't uh, remember that. Corinne Griffith, um, she plays Lady Hamilton, which uh, apparently is a thing that people know uh, the, the story. Um, because there's like a, another version yeah. that, that that Hamilton woman with uh, Vivian Lee and I think Lawrence oh, Olivier. I've yeah, heard that. that. Yeah, it's uh, the story between like this, this woman who comes from a low status as a servant and uh, her. Her, what's her, her employer falls in love with her, but she's too rowdy, too, uh, too unstately, and uh, he ships her off to his uncle to like, oh, you, because he wants him to, uh, there's like some inheritance stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then she is relatively happy with the uncle, actually, but then she meets uh, 
Horatio Nelson, Nelson? Yeah, the, the guy that uh, won the some, Battle of Trafalgar. That sounds uh, right. Some, yeah, some British guy, and um, yeah, they develop a love, and uh, it was apparently quite a scandal at, at times. So um, Corinne Griffith actually does to get uh, get to show off a lot of stuff. It's a silent performance, I have to add. Um, it's of the four I saw, it's only silent, and um, she's she's really good. Um, because she has to play like the, the more rowdy uh, character who's lively and who's uh, joyful and uh, leads a sing-along at a carnival, which causes his, her employer to be embarrassed about her behavior. And uh, But she's also very good at playing the, the lady later. And um, she, uh, she sells the love scenes. Um, she, was, she was really good. Um, a, lot of, a lot of range. Um, and uh, to check my notes, is there anything interesting? And yeah, and she has a she really uh, exudes some charisma because you really really like her in there. And um, she apparently didn't survive the the transition to sound because she only made two films in the, in the, in the sound era. So that's her lasting legacy here. But uh, that's also on YouTube, and uh, that one I would recommend to check out because as a film, this is the best filmmaking of that yeah that i saw because it's really it had to, it has dissolves it has uh, interesting editing it has some some very interesting visual stuff because they didn't have to care about a microphone so yeah. uh, you see really because it's like the height of silent film and the contrast to these other films when i was like really hard yeah and, i'll, I'll uh, have to check that one out that sounds sounds good yeah yeah really and it's also not too long so i think it's also like a 90 minutes Something like that. And then I also uh, didn't go easy on myself and watch the Broadway melody, which is often considered the worst uh, best picture nominee, uh, best picture winner. And uh, even though I'm missing like eight or nine to complete all, I have to agree. I recently watched the great Ziegfeld and was like, that's rough, but uh, at least you got Myrna Law and William Powell in there. So you got like, okay, there's chemistry, there's charisma. But the Broadway melody is just like, such a chore to sit through. I mean, I was like watching 45 minutes of it and I was like, why is Bessie Love nominated? Yeah. She's just a lot of, she's angry a lot of times at other people and starting fights and she's trying to commandeer her sister around. But yeah, uh, I mean, I like that the film is very pre-code and like there's a clearly gay costume designer that's not ridiculed or anything. It's just like, I mean, it's Broadway. Of course, there's like a gay guy doing costumes, like this attitude, and uh, no one talks about it. No one like diminishes his worth or anything. Um, yeah, I mean, Bessie Love is okay. She's fine, but it feels more like a nomination that you get when you're in the in the front runner because it was the best, um, the highest grossing movie apparently of 29. Um, and I mean, I get it. It's the first ever musical like full-on talking and singing and dancing musical, but it's also very static, very, yeah, very, like there's a character called Zenfield. You can guess if that's supposed to be Ziegfeld. And there's a character called Warrener, uh, Jack Warrener. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so who's that supposed to be? And he's like the bad guy because this is MGM. Warner, I like the bad guy. That's really like, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. pettiness wasn't invented in, in, in these times, but um yeah, it's I, I hate to uh, 
say this about films, but that was just boring. As really, it yeah. was so so boring. The the songs aren't memorable. Um, the uh, uh, the performances aren't memorable. And and if if I would give a acting nomination there, I would give it to her uh, co-star, the one who plays her sister, Anita Page, because she gets to do a lot more. And uh, but for some reason, the Academy seemed to deem Bessie Love more. So you might be hearing from my talking set maybe Gene Eagles is the best of the bunch, and uh, like the, from the one, the two I haven't seen, I can't uh, compare, but uh, she should have won. Yeah, that Actually, seems to be seems to be from uh, 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 people just talking online that I've seen. Like, because I, I I did like a very cursory just look at like people's reaction to this movie nowadays and and like its place in the Oscar race as the uh, the intro to this podcast uh would would imply I talk about um yeah it, it seems that's more or less a consensus that she is kind of if not by far like like certainly the most uh uh respected and loved performance of these nowadays uh yeah again with the, the caveat that there's two of these that most people even like most Oscar people haven't seen and probably won't see because of how very heavily archived they are. Um, Which is something I don't get. Like if they have a print at UCLA, why don't they put it online? I mean, they don't even have to restore it. They have, I don't, I mean, maybe I'm naive in how expensive it is to digitize something like that, but to run a print through a machine to digitize it can't be that expensive. Yeah. I mean, not restoration, just digitize it. Yeah. For, I mean, it's an Oscar-nominated performance. It's wild how many, like, it's not even a lost movie. It's there. No, just, no. And, like, if you go to UCLA and request to see it, like, you can screen you can it. it. It's not, like, vaulted away. You can go see it. No. But only at one specific place. Um, and I, I think the Barker, uh, yeah, the Barker is, what is a lone nominee. Uh, so I toyed with the idea maybe of like maybe for one of the later episodes when that's one of the ones left taking a trip out to ucla to watch it with someone and then doing a live episode with that maybe who knows maybe i'll just (laughs) never do it that seems more likely uh uh but yeah no it sounds like there's some interesting ones in there and some not interesting ones i was going to try to fit broadway melody in uh, but I had a busy weekend and then I was like very sick yesterday. And I feel yeah. like honestly, I had a better time being sick than watching the Broadway melody. So, so you should punish I, yourself I, when you're sick yeah. to watch the Broadway melody. Honestly, like, it's really, it's so, oh, yeah. I was pushing myself to do a one hour, 40 minutes movie. I was really pushing and. Oof. And then I started to rewatch the letter from William Wilder, which I didn't finish because I had to go to bed because of work and everything. But it was like I was watching forty minutes of that, and I was like, "Man, this is so much better." Yeah, I mean, of course, it's it's a bit unfair because these early talking, uh, these early sound films did have a hard time, but that doesn't excuse like a bad. And and that's the that's the thing. I also watched uh, in old Arizona and Alibi because I was because they're also on YouTube once again. And uh, I was like, maybe there's a female performance in there that could be uh, slotted in for Best Actress, which in both cases, no. Um, but they're also like, I mean, Alibi is just like, 
it's one of the most boring gangster stories you will ever see on film. Uh, I, I read somewhere that the uh, historical claim beyond the Oscar nomination is that it's the first time a Tommy gun is fired with sound huh. on screen. So if you want to check that out, sure, uh, go see it. Uh, no, but Chester Morris, the, the leading actor, is actually pretty good and uh, deserves nomination. And in old Arizona, is touted as the first sound picture completely filmed outdoors, uh, which is impressive for its time, which yeah. also comes with a bad sound quality. So you got to yeah. do that. And uh, in my letterbox review, I wrote like, you know how 3D movies have these uh, scenes where some random objects come out of the screen just because they can't do that with 3D? That's in old Arizona with dialogue. It's just like they talk nonstop. <laughs> it's just like there's no information to be gained about the character, about the plot. It's just, well, I mean, we have sound now, so we should give the people what they pay for, people talking. Yeah. And that I have at least to, to give credit to Broadway Melody because um, apparently Evan Thorberg um, looked at the success of uh, the jazz singer and realized that people were very passionate about the, uh, the musical numbers. And so he decided that he wanted to go with a musical for his first all-sound picture and highest-grossing film. I mean, it worked. You can't complain about that. Yeah. Also, I just realized, I so like when I went into this... Um into like prepping for this episode i assumed that because this is the second academy awards and we're in 1929 that there wouldn't be any like precursors or whatever to have to discuss but there is one this got another quote unquote like i guess nomination if you want to call it that it made the national board of reviews top 10 of the year uh which first national board of review top 10 right yes yeah uh other uh, uh entries on the list uh, most of these I haven't heard of. Um, uh, a movie called Applause, a movie called Broadway, not the Broadway melody, something else just called Broadway. But also, but also not the Hollywood Review, which is also a music video. Yes. Uh, okay, uh, just, ah, no, wait, Broadway. It's, um, uh, it's a, I don't know if, if I speak it correctly, Paul Ferro's uh, film. He did uh, Lonesome, which is in a Criterion collection. A criterion collection. That sounds right. And, and Broadway is, I think, a special feature on there. Oh, fun. And I think it's a film where there's not everything, like there's a, a lost reel or any, or something like that. That would sound right. Uh, and, and it's supposed to be, and I saw, like, I only saw Lonesome, but Lonesome is very, very good. So maybe uh, National Board of Review was uh, smarter than the Oscars back then. Maybe so. Uh, also on this list, uh, Bulldog Drummond, which was an Oscar nominee at the following Next ceremony. Uh, the Case of Lena Smith, Disraeli, which was again Oscar nominee and winner the next year, as uh, the next year's best actor winner. Hallelujah, which was a best director nominee the next year, which I think is one of those. Yeah, King Vidor. Yes, yeah. I think it's on that list that I've been toying around with. If I ever do a Patreon, uh, doing a mini series on the lone directing nominees, because hmm. I think that's one of those like twelve or thirteen uh, that only got a best director nominee. The letter. Uh, the Love Parade, again, Oscar nominated the next year. Uh, Paris Bound and The Valiant, which is an Oscar nominee this year uh, yeah. for uh, Best Actor for Paul Mooney and what is it? Oh, ah, yeah. Writing, uh, probably? Maybe? Because they're like, yes. They're, yes. Yeah, because there's 11, 11 nominees in Edwards. Yeah. We we're that that's the category that gets a bunch, and then best picture still only has five. Um, uh, but 
the thing that made me remember that is because you were talking about other performances that could have gotten gotten slotted into uh, a best actress nominee uh listing here and also at this year's nbr they had uh their top foreign films list uh which is uh only five movies uh arsenal which is um an alexander dovshenko film homecoming uh which i don't know anything about uh october 10 days that shook the world the eisenstein and who's the other director on that one uh, Grigory Alexandrov, according to IMD, I'm just like pulling. I I haven't seen that one. Uh, that something good. called Piccadilly, and then uh, the Passion of Joan of Arc, which if 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 that if that performance had been listed here, like the the I don't know, just the the course shifting of the Academy recognizing that performance this early on, who knows what could have happened? I don't yeah. know, but uh. Yeah, you want to talk about great performances from this year? That is one of the greatest ever, even yeah. still today. Yeah, and it's even even referenced today. Like, um, did you see Crimes of the Future? Like, yeah, yeah. The, there's a clear reference to to her performance there. Yeah, uh, it's so you see like how it uh, still 100 years later, almost 100 years later, uh, still has the power that many of these films don't have beyond their status as uh, an Oscar nominee, which makes people like us watch it. Yeah, like nobody nowadays is referencing Coquette or no. or like like outside of the fact that it's an Oscar winner. Nobody's yeah. talking about that or the Broadway melody or even really the letter. Like these aren't movies that live on in film circles outside of the specific niche of Oscar circles. But The Passion of Joan of Arc is like, where did that place on this year's sight and sound? It was, I, I wow. think it was pretty high up there. Maybe I'm misremembering, but that was like, it is still considered one of the greats and for good reason. It's, it's a fantastic film. And I, I imagine because it made that NBR list that that means it got a, a U.S. release and would have been eligible for consideration Uh as if there were really any eligibility rules here at the second Academy Awards where they're just writing names on a piece of paper. I mean, but, they did have a, a different uh, period because they didn't have the, the calendar year from January yeah. to... Um, because, like, actually, it's like the 28-29 Oscars. Yes. I think it was, like, July 28 to June 29. So maybe it would have been I eligible think. the next year or something. I, I don't know. I don't know when the U.S. release for that movie was or if it even really got one i I don't know all i know is it showed up on that list and uh that just made me upset that it didn't get uh i mean obviously i i I knew that it wasn't an oscar nominated performance to begin with but it just rubbed a little salt in the wound seeing it there recognized in its time and not some like i'm just trying to find if it's still on the sight and sound list maybe it's not maybe i'm because that that new list was ah no sorry it's uh, 21, 21 okay I just scrolled past it yeah yeah I I knew it was pretty high up there yeah I, I would have been shocked if that was uh, one that uh, flew out the window because I mean it was a big shaker but that is one of those perennial classic that honestly I still haven't seen I have two Blu-ray editions of that film and I still haven't seen it it's, it's, it's... like one of those titans where you think like. Oh, I have to be like, I want to pay real attention. It's not like when I'm tired from yeah. work 
I want to be like, okay, the kid is asleep and I'm just focusing on, and I, that's not even that long a movie, right? Oh no, it's two hours. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, also silent films, you can't just like casually just, oh, just watch and maybe be a bit on your phone because without intertitles, uh, some, I mean, it depends on the silent film, but yeah. Uh, yeah. uh, and I, I did look up the U.S. release date on that. It was uh, uh, March 28th, 1929. So only like 11 yeah. days after the letter. So maybe it would have been probably eligible. Probably would have been this, yeah. eligible, yeah. Uh, if only. If only we could say that that was one of them. And uh, m- maybe someone should just go back to that list of, uh, uh, of <laughs> names in consideration and just pencil in uh uh renee jean falconetti or or Maria? there's like like it's something like some creditor as uh renee jean uh, falconetti and some creditor as maria falconetti either way i mean it's still i don't know where i was going with that sentence um <laughs> yeah just pencil her name in there and be like see they actually did consider her it's an oscar nominated performance now uh yeah. no i don't know um yeah. So, uh, oh, no, what were you no, there's say? there's some stuff uh, like there's a a pop swim diary of a lost girl, uh, which is very highly rated, which could have been a contender, but I'm not sure if this was a German production or if it was already in. Okay, no, based on every name that's in there, it's still a German production of his. Yeah, I mean the Academy. I think the first foreign movie they embraced was. Uh, Grand Illusion in 39. That sounds right. Yeah. Because that got the best picture nomination. I yeah. Mean, compared to what else they did or didn't do, it's like only only 11 years after their inception. So that's not too bad, especially since foreign films weren't that widely available back then. I, think, I mean, after sound in, in the silent era, it was a different uh, different thing. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh- do do we want to go through these seven categories and and figure out whether or not we would have considered this movie in in, yeah. in the way that they're considering I, them? I think that's uh, that's doable here. Yeah, sort of in in place of the uh, where would you have nominated it? Since we only have seven categories, why not go one at a time? Yeah. So uh, for outstanding picture uh, of of nineteen twenty eight slash twenty nine, again. I've only seen the one, so I, I'm not. I, I have a much more limited palette of movies to pull from and compare to. But it sounds like it's better than most of these others, at least. Yeah. So I would put it over either Broadway Melody or Alibi or In Old Arizona. Uh, yeah. And then the um, other. Did you see the Hollywood Review of 1929? No, I didn't. I didn't find find that. And the Patriot, I think, is the only lost Best Picture nominee. Yep. In history, so of course I didn't watch that. Yeah. So, um, but it's a Lubitsch film, so I'm inclined to say it's better than the rest on that list. Oh yeah, probably so. I would imagine. Um, uh, yeah. No, I, I would. I would certainly put this in uh, as a Best Picture, just because, like. It it surprised me for what it was doing for film of its time, which is always yeah. good for a movie of this era. Uh, so yeah, we're putting it in there. Best director, which has seven nominees here, uh, including the Divine Lady, which wins. Uh, yeah, well, it's it's not the most like the direction again isn't the the most 
striking aspect of this movie, but I think for what it is, it, it's not bad. It's not poorly directed. Yeah. It, it's but it's not flashily directed either. I don't know. No, it's uh, it's difficult because if you think about directing also in uh, in technical terms and like how difficult was it to shoot, which is also like a debate. It's like is that the point? Uh, it's like when I remember when uh, the Revenant was like, oh, it was it was so tough to shoot the film. Like yeah, but that doesn't make it a better movie. Um, yeah, especially not not than Mad Max, but that's another discussion. Um, but um, so that's why, like, okay, I get the the Irving Cummings nomination for Old Arizona in Old Arizona because like the first sound picture to be shot outside is a challenge. I get that. Um, I haven't like this. Okay, the Divine Lady, I'm fine with the Broadway melody. Sure, let's let's switch that out. That doesn't need to be yeah. there. Because like at least I mean it's not the latter is not the most visually astonishing film, but I mean directing is also directing the performances and the, the performance he directed, uh, John Lee Moore was way 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 more impressive than anything that uh, Beaumont directed in Broadway Melody. Yeah, that's very true. Rest. I find it fascinating that in the, at the second Academy Awards already an actor directing was uh, considered with Lionel yeah. Barrymore. Yeah. Uh... Lubitsch also, uh, Frank Lloyd nominated for two other movies aside from I winning for the Divine movies. Lady. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but sometimes, like back in the, those days, they had like this, uh, like in the first year, like Emil Jannings was nominated for two pictures, and uh, I think that's just happened often in the in the earlier days where people yeah. were like nominated, like they were nominated for more movies, but only awarded for one, which was I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that weird. happens sometimes. Uh, best actor? Uh, not really. No. 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 Even though yeah. the actor is terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, no. Then no. Then no. Give it to Chester, Chester Morris because that's the only two I've seen. Then. Yeah. I th- am I? Yeah. Thunderbolt. I think is a lone nominee. So I'll yeah I'll dip is. into that category at some point as well. Yeah, so from uh, best from Oh, I don't think I knew that. That sounds interesting. I think, oh, right, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's von Sternberg. It's like the one he made in Hollywood before uh, Dietrich came over. Ah, uh, that's cool. Yeah. That should that should be an interesting one. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything of the reputation of it. So maybe it's terrible. Uh, I don't know. I I I don't. I probably think it's not terrible because i mean it's von sternberg so how bad True. can it be yeah um but at least it should be uh visually more impressive yeah that tracks uh uh best writing which like you said has 11 quote-unquote nominees here uh <laughs> the patriot wins uh which we can't speak to because it's lost it's um, probably a fantastic adaptation sure <laughs> i i would i would not be surprised uh but yeah, like I said, I, th- I feel like this is a competent script. And if we're just talking about like movies to consider for best yeah. writing, it's sure. it's a it's a good adaptation that doesn't feel too stagey. So yeah, sure, why not? Yeah. Again, over in old Arizona, sure, why not? Yeah. Uh Broadway Melody notably absent here. Yeah. Uh best art direction. I don't know if it's that notable. Yeah. But the yeah, I mean that's that's fine. But uh, like the one I've seen there is Alibi, and 
Okay, credits to Alibi. The set's good. So, yeah. And the rest yeah. I haven't seen. So, but no, I think uh, I don't think it has to be there. It's funny that in Art Direction you have two uh, two people that are directors later. William Cameron Menzies, who directed a oh, few yeah. pictures later, uh, and also Mitchell Lyson, who uh, huh. I think who did he hold back the dawn with Olivia de Havilland, and I think some interesting, interesting, cool. So people worked their way up back then. Yeah, and then uh, best cinematography. I mean, our last category here. Yeah, sure. It's it's a good looking movie, uh, and again, like yeah. you said, like like we talked about earlier, it it has you know interesting framing. Especially for the time, it it looks more modern. Like it, it looks more like a movie of the like mid to late thirties than yeah. I would expect. So, at the very least, for relatively innovative, forward thinking cinematography, I'm sure why not. Yeah, but that's one nomination that I will grant to an old Arizona because yeah, it, I mean, it doesn't didn't look too bad. Yeah, and. In that case, degree of difficulty does kind of work in its in its benefit of like absolutely being able to adapt your camera work to a brand new, just n- not even medium, but like literally landscape. Like yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and those are the categories at the second Academy Awards. Uh, yeah, so it, it sounds like not. It sounds like it. We just did. Uh, we we would give it more nominations than the one it got. Yes. Uh, pretty comfortably. Uh, I again, having not seen any of these other nominees and movies of this year, still feel confident in putting it there above some of those others. You can absolutely do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, I think that'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about this one. I, was, I had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. It's always a pleasure. Uh, do you have wow, anything? It's, I'm just like, wow, an episode I'm on, it's, which is under two hours. Impressive. Yeah. Well, we're talking about a one hour movie and we still outpaced the actual movie. Uh, Indeed, we did. Yeah, our Jagged Edge episode somehow went really long, didn't it? Yeah. I remember the Easter yeah, Promises was, one was long, but that Jagged was Edge. Three hours, yeah. How did we get that much out of Jagged Edge? It's just uh, inspired discussion. What what can we I, do? I guess so. Um, uh, do you have anywhere uh, people can find you? Anything you want to plug? They can find me on Instagram at Karim at the movies with, with underscores uh, between each word, uh, where I post reviews and some of my Blu-rays that I frequently buy. And uh, also on Letterboxd, oh, which I have to check with my username in there. I don't use it there. Uh, oh, that's Max Katie eighty eight because I love Cape Fear very much. Uh, uh, underscore between Max and Katie and the rest is together, uh, which has also some lists about uh, which films or which filmmaker I find best and uh, general review stuff. So yeah, you can find me there. Yeah, go check all that out. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at the Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening.